and welcome to a very special episode of Scene to Song. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and five years ago, I released the first episode of this musical theater podcast. On June 25th, five years to the day, I brought back nine guests from the past five seasons to talk about Scene to Song episodes we have loved and if the discussions have changed our thoughts on musical theater in any way. We also talk about the late lyricist Sheldon Harnick and do a group Why Is This So Good for Telephone Wire from Fun Home. This discussion was held live on Scene to Song's Facebook page and was recorded for this podcast almost in its entirety. I'm so glad you've enjoyed Scene to Song over the years. Thank you so much for being here. It would mean so much to me if you left a review on your podcast app and gave the show a rating if you haven't done so already. Also, please spread the word about this podcast. Scene to Song has built up a great audience over the course of five years, but there's always room for more. If you know someone who loves to discuss, critique, and celebrate musical theater as a literary art form, please share this podcast with them. And now, on with the show. All right, welcome everyone watching. I'm sure people <clears throat> will either be watching live or will join soon or be watching after the fact. Uh, but welcome whenever you're watching to the Scene to Song five year anniversary live show celebration. Um, I'm so excited to be doing this uh, and to have guests from many episodes uh, over the past five years to join me today uh, to talk about musical theater and uh, ep maybe certain episodes uh, that uh, we either they've done or they want to talk about. Um, so and I uh, purposely have uh, the people who have uh, done episodes this current season, season six, uh, were not invited <laughs> because uh, I but I definitely want them to do the end of year uh, live show, uh, and that so that's why they are not here. But uh, so you'll definitely want to tune in to the end of year season six live show finale to see those guests. But these are all guests from seasons one through five. Uh, we have guests from, I think, from each season represented here. And uh, we will get started by going around and uh, just saying uh, your name, uh, if you want to say your pronouns, uh, which episode you did episode you did uh where and uh where you're zooming in from and if you'd like also briefly just for fun say a musical that you've been thinking about or listening to recently and if there is a reason why uh so i'll just go first to kick it off and then um i will then popcorn it to uh tammy and tammy you can popcorn it to somebody else and we can go from there to start, I'll just say my name is Shoshana. I am the host of Scene to Song. I've been on every episode. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, I know it says she, her, she, they on the thing. That's because I'm using somebody else's Zoom whose pronouns are she, they. And uh, Zoom's new thing is you can't change the pronouns that are embedded in the host's 
uh, thing, but my pronouns are she, her, um, and uh, I'm zooming in from uh, New York City and uh, a musical that I have been thinking about this week. Uh, well, this week I saw Hair, the musical Hair uh, in French when I was visiting Montreal. So uh, that was definitely on my mind this week. Uh, so it was fun to sh see a show, a musical in a language that I do not speak. Uh, so yeah, popcorning it to Tammy. Hi, everybody. My name is Tammy Tucky. Um, I identify with she, her, and um, I'm based out of Philly, outside of Philly. So representing the hot weather we have here today. Um, and I, I think the one that's really stuck in my mind, cause I just did an audition and I did a song from the musical, um, is the, the princess Diana musical, Diana, the musical it's, I, I just love it so much. <laughs> I'm praying to God, they released the rights already. So I'm hoping somebody in our neighborhood does it at a community theater. Cause I am so there. <laughs> I'll popcorn it over to Beth Ann. Hi, I'm Beth Ann uh, Fried Cohen. She, her. Um, I'm I'm the podcast number one fan, so I've been on a bunch of episodes. <laughs> um, but uh, I did uh, one about represented ah, about Judaism and musical theater, TV musical episodes, and Into the Woods. And um, I just listened to the soundtrack. Uh, of chess on the recommendation of a friend and and you know for obvious reasons some of the songs are very catchy so they got stuck in my head a lot for a couple weeks and uh yeah um happy to be here uh oh all popcorn it to uh victoria myers hi i'm victoria um and i use she her and i we're supposed to say where we are right um from New York and I was on the episode uh talking about Bernadette Peters and the musical that I've been thinking about is um I started re-watching a few months ago the um breakable Kimmy Schmidt and the musical episode that they do in I believe it's season two episode five um and just thinking about like how they handle that and how they handle trauma in the show and then I was also thinking about that um, show and that episode in relationship to Light in the Piazza. And I will send it to Deborah. Not surprised. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Deborah Blumenthal. I was on, I believe, episode 57 about company. Uh, pronouns are she, her, hers. I am calling from about 10 miles west of Chicago. Um, and the musical that's been on my mind the last week, week or so, um, is Taboo, the Boy George musical, which I think just hit its 20th anniversary. So there's been a lot of nostalgia content, like all over my social media, and we love nostalgia here. Um, it's a show that I I really love, and I think just didn't get a fair shake, and like I'm really waiting for someone to give yet another chance to. Um, don't know if that'll ever happen, but been listening to it a bit and just thinking about how much I love that score. I will popcorn it to Seth. I am Seth Christenfeld, he, him. I am zooming in from my parents' house in the Westchester suburbs of New York City, where I have been somewhat happily, not happily ensconced for the last three and a quarter years since the pandemic started, because my theater lost its offices, so I work from home now. 
Um, I was on episode, I want to say five, many, many years ago, back in single digits, talking about adaptations in musical theater. And recently, I've been thinking about The Light in the Piazza, mainly because I saw it two days ago and haven't seen anything else since. And I'm going to pop it to the other Victoria. Hello, I am the other Victoria, Victoria Gordon. I use she, her pronouns. I am zooming in from Beverly Hills um, in California. If you're in Michigan, not that one, sorry. Um, I appeared on episode, I believe 37, which was about Evening Primrose. And I believe it also has the distinction of being the first virtually recorded episode. I'm pretty sure at the time Shoshana and I looked at each other and thought, what in the world are we going to do? And now that's just what she does. But um, a musical I've been thinking about a lot lately is on the 20th century. There is a YouTube channel whose name escapes me that has posted a lot of videos of really they're more recordings of soundboards from mostly forgotten shows. And they have Judy Kay's recordings from on the 20th century, which if you have not heard them and you're familiar with the show, highly recommend going and finding those. She was exceptional in the role. And I will popcorn it over to Please forgive me if I say this wrong, but Orion? Um, it's Orion. No worries. Uh, you're not the first to mispronounce my name. You certainly will not be the last. Uh, my name is Orion. I am calling in from uh, Toronto, Canada, which is on the uh, indigenous land of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people. Uh, my a recent musical I've been thinking about is uh, Sweeney Todd, because ever since I saw the performance of the Tonys, the score has just been playing in my mind over and over and over again. And I think also in my dad's mind, because he, he starts to just hum the opening to, to Sweeney Todd over and over. And I don't think he realizes. So, yeah. Did I did I get all the questions? I feel like I missed. No. OK, good. <laughs> And I will popcorn it over to uh, Robert. I think it's just me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Robert Lee. Uh, I am uh, zooming in from Houston, Texas, which is my my uh, summer home when I'm not teaching in New York. Um, uh, I was on episode 65, which uh, which was about artist characters in musicals and the challenges of writing them. Um, and let me see what. Uh, I've been thinking, okay, I've been thinking about something very, very specific, which is, uh, which is magic to do. Like I've been obsessed with magic to do <laughs> from Pippa. And it's because when I was driving around, uh, I discovered a, a forbidden Broadway album that I did not know existed that had a very, very mean parody of the Pippin uh, revival. And so after I listened to that, I thought I'm going to listen to the recording of the Pippin Revival. And I listened to the Pippin Revival. And then that led me to listening to the original recording, the original Broadway cast recording, which I had not listened to in years. And just, just marveling at the economy of it, the just the, the Ralph Burns uh, orchestrations are incredible. And then that led me to looking uh, at the video online of the, um, of the Bob Fosse production, which was uh, kind of a revelation. If you, if you haven't watched it in a long time, and you've just seen a lot of other productions of Pippin. It's kind of amazing to go back and look at that um, that original production. Um, so that's me. And um, I use he, him pronouns. And back to you, Shoshana. Great. Thanks, everyone. Uh, before we get into our first topic, just wanted to go through some announcements. Uh, one is... Uh, that we encourage people, I don't know how many are watching live, um, but if you are and you want to call in, we really encourage people to call in uh, to either 
ask a question about musical theater or scene to song episode uh, or just call in to chat uh, <laughs> with us uh, if you want to just say hi and talk about, uh, you know, that, you know, say you listen to the podcast or whatever you want to say, like, that's awesome, too. We definitely want to hear from from you. Um, so I put the uh, number to dial in the um, in on the Facebook post, but and I'll also announce it here. So hold on. That number is here it is 301-715-8592. Uh, and that's uh, for the US. If there are uh, international numbers uh, available, so I think if you wanted to dial in internationally and you need like a specific number that Zoom provides, uh, just comment on the Facebook post and uh, Bethann, who's watching the Facebook thread, will just let me know and we can get that number for you. But um, but yeah, that's the that's the number. And uh, yeah, so you'll basically be calling into the Zoom. Uh, you don't have to be if you want to be on camera, go for it, but you don't have to be. Uh, it's just calling in. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, we have some callers today, but um, you can also comment, just comment on the Facebook thread. Again, Bethann is watching that. So if there's a question or comment there, we'll uh, read it and address that as well. Um, also just wanted to mention uh, that Scene to Song, uh, hopefully you're following on the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, there's also the Scene to Song monthly newsletter that I send out, um, which has just like the information about the episodes and get more, more info about the guests and musical of the month and just, you know, some fun stuff like that. So, and that's totally free. Uh, there's also a Patreon that I set up uh, if you want to donate anything uh, to the show uh that's there i put bonus content up there uh from episodes stuff that i've had to cut out uh for time but was also a really good conversation or expanded conversations from shows so um would love to have you as part of the pa patreon um and uh i think that's that's everything to announce so uh again feel free to call in anytime we'll um finish whatever we're talking about but then we'll take your call so if you're uh on you know waiting to get in for a little bit just we're just uh finishing up what we're chatting about and then we'll let you into the zoom so that's how it's going to work um but now we'll get back to our uh discussion so i think people may have seen that uh the lyricist sheldon harnick passed away on uh friday and we're going to talk about him, but actually here is somebody calling in. So let me admit them first before we do that. Hello, this is Jessica. Oh, hi, Jessica. Jessica is actually part of our group. <laughs> is your Zoom just not working? <laughs> it is not working. Well, I'm so glad that you're joining via phone. I'm sorry it's not working. So I think- I'm that, too. So I think then before we start talk about uh, Sheldon Harnick, we'll first have your introduction, 
So, um, but we have been, uh, just say uh, your name, which episode you did, uh, where you're zooming in from, uh, if you want to say your pronouns, and a musical that you've been thinking about or listening to recently, and if there's a reason why. All right, cool. So sorry to interrupt everyone. Glad I'm here. Um, my name is Jessica Flightman. I was on the My Fair Lady episode of um, Sing to Song, which was a super fun experience. And something I've been listening to a lot is Town. So I finally just saw it this week on Wednesday. Um, so now I'm just listening to the soundtrack over and over again. And my pronouns are she, her. Great. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, we'll start talking about Sheldon Harnick. As I said, he um, passed away on Friday and he was 99 years old. Uh, one of the, I think, great lyricists of uh, musical theater, such shows as Fiddler, On the Roof, She Loves Me, Apple Tree, The Rothschilds. And we, I think, and I'm glad, Orion, I'm glad that you're here because you did, I think the only episode that uh, of scene to song that really focuses on Sheldon Harnick and his work, um, whereas people have also either maybe done one of his songs for why is this so good or have just mentioned him in you know their conversations or answering the initial questions the get to know our guest questions but um yeah I kind of just wanted to do a tribute to him and kind of start with um you know if people have uh you know a favorite uh, Sheldon Harnick lyric or one of his musicals or just like a story about uh, him or one of his musicals to kind of uh, start the discussion that way um, and uh, yeah I don't know I don't I don't want to always be the one starting so if somebody wants to go first Orion why don't you kick it off I know I, I did a, a Harnick episode so <laughs> Um, yeah, so my, I did, uh, all the way back in like, I think season two, I did an episode on, uh, comparing, uh, Fiddler on the Roof and the Rothschilds, um, Harnick's lyrics, especially Fiddler are, you know, being Jewish have really had such an impact on my life. You know, you grow up with the Fiddler soundtrack and, um, oddly enough, the day that he passed away on Friday that night, I was at a, uh, Shiva Bracha, which is like a dinner that we do after a wedding and for the uh, the week after the wedding for someone who gets married and you do like a special like dinner and you drink wine and anyway uh, the host decided to lead everyone in a singing of sunrise sunset so here I am si sitting and that day um you know, of his passing, people are literally singing his lyrics that night and, and people who, you know, may or may not have seen the show. So, um, you know, I think that that is his real legacy there is, you know, that we will be singing those songs. Um, my favorite lyric of Harnick is actually in She Loves Me, which I think I read your post shot where you're like, filler means a lot, but She Loves Me is your favorite I think Harnick lyrics and and I have to agree because you know my favorite lyric from him is in the title song she loves me which is um 
I'm feeling incandescent and like some adolescent. I'd love to scroll on every wall I see, which I just think is so lovely and so beautiful and so well-crafted. And so, you know, even though I have such a mixed relationship with the show Fiddler on the Roof, I think as a lyricist and an artist, I, I really love his work. And, and, you know, despite the fact that he was, you know, 99, it, it's still a loss to our community. And, you know, all, all I can say in this moment is, you know, may his memory be a blessing. So. I, I, uh, I also talked a little bit about Fiddler on the Roof in my episode, my first episode I did with you um, uh, about Jews and musicals for some reason. Um, I think Fiddler has such a, it's such a identity thing because it really shows um, actually, I teach home health aides, and um, this week I was working in a room with um, two very recent immigrants from Dominican Republic, and it was difficult because I needed to use a, a translator to talk to them, and, and we were having kind of a long day getting through uh, learning what we needed to learn about caring for people, and like in the middle of the day I get this news flash about Sheldon Harnick, and I was like, stop everything. And I was able to find on YouTube, um, uh, if I were a rich man with Spanish subtitles. So I showed them the song, you know, and, um, you know, they, they seemed to be laughing along to the lyrics. They liked it. And I was like, oh, the guy who wrote this just died. That's why I'm showing it to you. And and I was like, and this is meaningful to me because this is essentially my great great grandfather. And they're like, that's your great great grand. And I was like, no, no, I just mean like, that's the culture I come from. And uh, it definitely helped me form a bit of a connection to the people I was working with that day. My favorite uh, lyric is from the same song as yours, Orion, but it's, um, I'm freezing because it's cold out, I just think is just a magical turn of phrase. That song is just one of the best songs ever written. And uh, uh, she loves me. Uh, great. I, I will also put in a plug. I sing, I for 13 years now, I've sung with the Yiddish chorus. And I don't know, six, seven years ago, we did a program of of Broadway show tunes in Yiddish. And we, we sang three of, and this was before the Yiddish production of Fiddler that was uh, recently off Broadway. Um, but we sang three, um, three songs from Fiddler. The, uh, cause the Yiddish translation actually comes from, I don't know, 50 years ago, uh, performed in Israel originally, so. Uh, if you if you go on YouTube and you look up Yiddish chorus, you can find us. <laughs> I also grew up with Fiddler. Shocking, I know. Um, I had Fiddler on CD and She Loves Me actually on cassettes because my mother is a harpist and she played in the pit of She Loves Me. So she had her cassettes that she used to learn. So I grew up with a lot of Harnick music. In my shows, I do a trip to the library and vanilla ice cream. So I have a huge affinity for that show. I was pretty bummed. I woke up because I'm in Los Angeles. I woke up to the news that Sheldon Harnick had passed. And I had just been in a concert the week before at Walt Disney Concert Hall here. 
where we played, I didn't play, but the orchestra I was performing with played a whole fiddler medley. And I thought, oh my God, we like just did that. Um, so yeah, having grown up with so much Sheldon Harnick music, in fact, my mom and I flew to New York in 2016 to see She Loves Me. Like that's how much that musical means to us. So yeah, it was pretty disappointing to hear that he had passed. Again, it's hard to feel the same sadness. At, I mean, obviously it's sad when a 99 year old dies regardless because you know he made such a contribution to the world, but knowing that he lived such a long and full life and was able to see his works interpreted so many ways is a comforting thing to think. And I will say, I also have a favorite lyric from She Loves Me, but it's from a different song. I was about nine years old, the first time I heard She Loves Me and the song perspective really stuck out to me because it tells the whole, I am only one of, several in a rather small perfumery, which is only one of several in this city, it works its way out into the universe. And I just remember thinking, wow, like I'm really small in the scope of the world. It's one of those things when you realize that as a kid or even as an adult that really sticks with you. And I will say, if you have not seen She Loves Me, that production from 2016 is available on Broadway HD. I don't know what it costs now to get that. At the time, I think I paid like 10 bucks to watch it a second time online. It is one of the most beautiful sets I have ever seen in a musical. And I highly recommend checking it out. I was I was privileged to know Sheldon just a little bit because uh, we uh, I'm my day job is I'm the literary manager at the York Theater Company in Manhattan and we've worked with Sheldon a lot. Um, we premiered the revised version of the Rothschilds in 2015 called Rothschild and Sons, for which Sheldon wrote a new song, both music and lyrics. And we've done the first musical we ever did back in 19. 70 something I don't know a long time ago uh was a production of she loves me and then in between there we've done a lot of presentations of his work both new and old and so I knew him just a little bit um he was a lovely warm kind of funny man who would perform at the drop of a hat he was a wonderful performer of his own material and a couple of there were a number of cds out there that have demos of him and Jerry Bach performing their own stuff. And it's absolutely wonderful to listen to. Um, a friend of mine in uh, Michael Dale described him as a writer who made you believe that even the most ordinary person you pass on the street has beautiful music inside of them. And I just wanna share a story that Sheldon told at some sort of talk at the York a couple of years, a number of years ago, um, which is that uh, Fiddler had a bit of a difficult tryout because they opened very quickly in Detroit in the middle of a newspaper strike. So they did not get many reviews and the ones they got were not spectacular. Um, somehow, and I forget the specifics, Sheldon had come into possession of a Chagall print. I think he bought it like at a print store somewhere while they were on the tryout. So he goes home, they're between runs, and he puts it up on the wall. And in the middle of the night, he, he hears a crash. And he gets out of bed and the print has fallen off the wall and the frame and the glass in front of it have shattered. And he says to his wife, Margie, I, don't, I think they might not have been married yet at the time, but they, they were together. Um, this is terrible. It's a bad omen. It mean everything's broken. And she, and she says, no, it means it's going to be a smash. And I, I too believe She Loves Me is a perfect musical and picking a favorite lyric would be impossible for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I think, um, yeah, I mean, just to echo what uh, Seth said, like I, I, 
um, have only met uh, Sheldon maybe two or three times, like over the course of my life. And and my memory of him is he's he's one of the kindest um, people that I've ever met. That was, um, uh, you know, that was a a, a Broadway writer. Um, I think like he and John Kander is also very nice and Stephen Schwartz is also very nice, but like Sheldon really, really stood out. Really lovely, lovely man. And I think um, one of the things about losing him is that, um, I mean, obviously when um, when Sondheim passed away, it was like, okay, like one of our giants is gone. I think the thing that really hurts about um, Sheldon for me is that I think that there has never been um, there's never been a writer that has gotten to Broadway as consistently as he has that um, has been as in touch with his humanity. Um, and I think that that's, a, you know, he's, he's um, yeah, I mean, everybody describes his work as being warm. It's funny, it's genuinely funny. Um, the character, just the character details in his work are, are just incredible. I think um, it, it's interesting to hear, um, Bethan and Orion talk about She Loves Me as a song because it's it's the song that he he would talk about the fact that that was the first lyric that he ever wrote where he felt like it captured his voice that you know, everything before that point he felt like he was imitating somebody else but that song he felt he figured out you know how to how to translate himself into into lyrics um I think um I mean there, there, I have so many thoughts but one of the things that I wanted to do was to pull up um a quote um, and I can't, I'm trying to remember what this is from. It might be, it's, it's from an interview, obviously, but I can't remember where the interview is from. It may be, it may have been one of the extra bits that's, that's on the um, remastered Fiddler on the Roof cast recording, the original Broadway one, where they interviewed him. Um, but I'll just read it to you because I think it's just really lovely. Uh, he said, it was expressed best for me by Alan Alda in a conversation we were having. He said, and it hit exactly the core in me, he wanted to do things that brought people together rather than separating them. What moves me terribly is when one person does a kindness to another person. More and more, I hope my work will express that on the stage so that people watching, it's not that they'll learn anything, but they'll have their beliefs confirmed that loving kindness is important and can make a life richer. Maybe I can make their world richer, uh, which to me just completely sums up who he was as a person in my experience of him anyway, my limited experience of him and um and also his work um and my my favorite i'm sure that I, I i i apologize to um particularly to orion and seth because they've probably heard me say this before <laughs> uh in, in in a class that i taught um one of my favorite lyrics there are two favorite lyrics of mine that are from oh to be a movie star from apple tree that i think are just so ridiculous that they're that they're that, uh, but wonderful um and uh so it's from the third act of the show which is an adaptation of um of a story called Passionella, um, which is a um, itself an adaptation of Cinderella. And the main character in it is a chimney sweep who dreams of being a movie star. And so she has this first song called Oh, to be a movie star. And um, there are a couple of, of lyrics in it that I think are wonderful. One is she says, I'd be so grateful that after, if, I, if I were a movie star, I'd be so grateful that after premieres, I'd sweep out the theater and fold up the chairs, which I think is great. Um, and then later on in the song, she sings, prospects look dismal. How can I go on? My piggy is empty. My Kleenex is gone. <laughs> Which I think is, again, fabulous. I mean, who would think to put the word piggy or Kleenex in a lyric? Um, but yeah, yeah, he's wonderful.
Um, I'll jump in if nobody else is is ready. But um, so I was listening to some podcasts with Sheldon Harnick. He's you can find so many interviews with him everywhere. And one thing I learned was that he was very much inspired by Yip Harburg. Um, and he saw Finian's Rainbow as a, I guess, a college student or heard it, whatever it was, he was introduced to Finian's Rainbow. And that was what spurred him to want to become a lyricist because he was so enamored of Harburg's lyrics. Um, and, and wanting to see if he could do what Harburg was able to accomplish with Finian's Rainbow, um, and which I think is so interesting to think about in that framework, because Harburg, I mean, we just did a, uh episode on Yip Harburg's lyrics this current season, so that guest is, is not here to talk about Harburg, but, um, but what's so interesting is like the, just the social issues and the social commentary that I think Har uh, Harnick was probably really interested in. And he did like, that's all through in like, if you think about it, yeah, like that's all through his work, but you don't really think about him as like writing about social issues, you know? Um, but, but he does like, it's all there. Um, like Fiddler. You also, don't, you, mm -hmm. you also don't usually think of him as being sort of the, sort of the showy kind of lyricist like Harburg. Was. Right. Although you can detect it in some of his earlier work. Uh, if you if you can find there's a song called The Ballad of the Shape of Things, which is very funny, which he wrote for, uh, I think, a Julius Monk review, which he wrote, um, I think both music and lyrics he wrote for that. Um, or And it's very funny. You can find that. And then he also wrote a show that played off Broadway called Smiling the Boy Fell Dead, which is it, there's a recording available. It's not easy to find. It's never been officially released on CD. Um, which was sort of a Horatio Alger spoof, kind of, but there's a lot of really funny, really clever lyric writing in that. You can probably find it online if you look. He wrote that with uh, David Baker and Ira Wallach. Yeah, but, and then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that something that I really do admire about his lyrics and have always admired is that, um, like you were saying, I don't feel like he's trying to show off how clever or how brilliant he is, even though he obviously was both of those things. Um, and just to, to that point, um, one of my favorite lyrics actually is in Do You Love Me from Fiddler, the very end of that song where it's um, Golda and Kevya, um, who because their daughters are starting to marry for love, actually ask each other the question for the first time, like, do you love me? Because they had an arranged marriage, um, which I think is a lovely idea for a song anyway. Um, but it ends with, you know, them admitting like, yeah, I think we do. Um, and kind of lyric ends with, um, you know, it doesn't change a thing, but even so after 25 years, it's nice to know. And I think yeah. there's just something so sweet and lovely about that. And it's not something that you would be like, oh man, the poetry of it, the imagery. Um, but it just like lands with such honesty and such sincerity and such integrity. And it's not... Um, you know, an important plot moment in the show. Arguably, the show could continue without that song, but it's such a beautiful moment of character that feels so honest to these two people um, admitting their deep love for one another. And I just think there's something so beautiful about that and something that really showed who he was as a lyricist, that it was about the character and it was about the honesty of the moment and that he didn't need kind of literary pyrotechnics to achieve that, I think is something that's a really incredible part of his legacy. Yeah. 
Shoshana, also to your point, I mean, you're, it, it, I, I think that that's a, that's a, um, I, I'd forgotten how much he was influenced by Finian's Rainbow. But I think to your point, I, I think that one of the big differences between him and Harburg, and I think that they're both absolutely brilliant. I think, like I think about the quote that I was just reading about wanting to bring things to bring people together rather than separating them. And I feel like if you look at a lot of Harburg's most political work, there is very clearly an us and them. <laughs> Does that make sense? That Harburg is clearly saying there is a them there and those people are horrible. <laughs> Whereas I, I feel like with, with um, Harnick's work, yes, he is writing about justice. He's writing about um, racism. He's writing about anti-Semitism. But I feel like, like I think about the constable in Fiddler as a character, small character, but it would have been very easy to just demonize the constable. And somehow... Harnick and uh, uh, Bach, obviously, and um, and you know all of his collaborators, they managed to humanize the constable. The constable. I mean, it's it's very minor. You know, the fact that that the pogrom happens and the constable expresses just a little bit of regret for it and says, "I'm sorry that it has to be this way," and then off. It's a tiny little touch, but it humanizes the constable in a way that a lot of writers may not have done. Um, so yeah, anyway, just just wanted to, yeah. to point that well, out. Well, I also wanted to bring up Fiorello because that's obviously a very political show um, mm -hmm. since it's about a political figure. Um, and then in one of the interviews I heard him, you know, discussing writing that show, he was like, I didn't know much about him. So I, you know, because I'm from Chicago, not New York. But when I went and read about him, I just fell in love with him. I fell in love with how, you know, at, how... Uh, you know, earnest he was, uh, you know, wanting to do all these things, uh, you know, whatever it was. Uh, but it, yeah, it really felt like he fell in love with all his characters in that way. Like, uh, uh, and yeah, there, I mean, I think tenderness is a word that's, I, I've heard people bring up with his, his work. Um, and that feels definitely in there. And to the point of, um, you know, I was trying to think of like what's something about his a lot of his songs that or that I that seems to be like a common a common thread. I mean, this is not a common thread through all of them, but I was thinking about the song from Fiddler that you mentioned, Jessica. Um, you know, do you love me? But there's also a song in Fiorello, um, When Did I Fall in Love? And uh just like it seems like in a lot of songs he's He's really probing, like, why, why am I feeling this way? Like, what, what's happening? Like, what am I doing? And then he comes to this conclusion of like, it, it probably doesn't matter why, but it's, it's nice to think about, like, it's nice to wonder about these things. And that's kind of like, that's kind of what she's going through. And when did I fall in love? She says, like, it doesn't really matter when I fell in love, but it's, it's, worth it it's worth it to think about that question uh for whatever it brings up for whatever it answers it's worth it to think about whether we love each other or not whether it matters or not you know and i think that that seems to to me to be like a theme yeah for him yeah when you when you like when you listen to i'm oh, sorry go ahead seth i was gonna say that i feel like more than any of his any of his contemporaries he was astoundingly good at subsuming himself into character. Um, 
like you can like you can read a son you can see a Sondheim lyric and tell it's a Sondheim lyric because it's showy you can see a Fred Ebb lyric and tell it's a Fred Ebb lyric because it's kind of cynical but you see a Sheldon Harnick lyric and you're not necessarily certain it's a Sheldon Harnick lyric because it's just so perfect for the character yeah not to, not to cast dispersions on Sondheim or Fred Ebb who I also adore obviously but Harnick is the lyricist I most wish to emulate in my own writing yeah. I mean, self-examination was a really important um, part. Like if you read or listen to a lot of interviews that he gave in the 60s and the 70s, um, just this idea of looking inside, you know, and and, uh, and he, he, he basically talks about the fact that he did not become um, a, a, a strong writer in his own view until he really started examining himself. And I don't know if he ever went to therapy. He probably did. <laughs> but that idea that that understanding yourself is the key to understanding your characters seems so simple to us. But I feel like if, if you look at the 20th century, that's something that doesn't really emerge as like uh, um, as a value, you know, uh, or, or or as a um, writing technique until fairly late, <laughs> you know. That um, that people earlier, I mean, for example, you know, again, bringing up Harburg, who I think is brilliant, but Harburg felt like he was much more about saying, let me tell you what's wrong with the world and how to fix it, as opposed to saying, well, what's wrong with me? And let me try to figure out what's wrong with me. And, you know, let me put that into my characters. I, I just wanted to jump in and say that I'm going to be probably the only one on this call that has never seen She Loves Me. I really don't know any of the music or the show. I haven't and now seen it I'm either. Don't like, feel bad. <laughs> oh, thank God. Okay. I was going to be like, everybody's going to be like, tisk tisk. So now it's going to be on my list, right? Um, but, you know, just growing up as a kid, my mom would just sing, you know, snippets of musical songs just because she was in a happy mood. So the one that always caught my ear was, you know, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. So um, just listening to that and hearing it all this time. And then finally, I got to see the show. My sister did it and she was the matchmaker. And the one song that really stood out to me because I'd never seen the show before the movie um, was far from the home I love. And I just thought it was such a poignant piece. Not only was the music so beautiful, but was, but the how the character was explaining the decisions that she has made, but where she will not forget where she's come from. I just, I, I was kind of surprised. I, I didn't, I'd never really heard the song before. And I just, it's now one of my favorites. And it kind of um, pushed me to watch that that documentary called Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles, which I, I, I really didn't know too much about the backstory of, of the making of it. And I think it's I think it's a great educational piece if you have not seen it before, um, just to kind of understand the show itself and, and some really interesting stories. Um, I, I, you know, I, the one story that popped out was, um, I think it was a group of children who were all African-American doing the show. And they were, they were kind of a lot of people were like, well, how how could they do a show and, and they're not Jewish? And, and, and it was just really interesting to hear about the story of these kids. They really wanted to do it. They really wanted to, you know, um, celebrate this this story and, and, and the music. So I really love that story in it. But just in case anybody hasn't seen, it's called Fiddler, a Miracle of Miracles. Absolutely put it on your list if you like to know stories about musicals. <laughs> yeah, and I'll add that um, Orion mentioned in our chat but the the Elisa Solomon book uh, Wonder of Wonders uh, is kind of like an expand well that came first I guess so it the documentary kind of is like a 
not an adaptation of that, but it's like a companion piece to this book that is a lot more in depth about, it really goes into like how the, like the culture, our culture became ready for a show like Fiddler on the Roof, like what all the cultural pieces had kind of like were put in place to, for, for Fiddler to become what it became. Uh, so it's really, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. Does anyone who hasn't talked about Sheldon Harnick want to uh, add anything? Just to make Tammy feel better. I have seen She Loves Me, but I feel like I'm in the minority <laughs> and that I did not grow up with Fiddler at all. <laughs> and that the first Sheldon Harnick show that I really remember having an impression on me was The Apple Tree, which I went to because of Kristen Chenoweth. So yes, I came to him through somebody who believes in the divinity of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't grow up with Fiddler either, which I think is is strange because I grew up in a Jewish household with parent, you know, with the mother who liked musicals. And I think that in some ways I resisted it because like I saw it as a kid, but I was so bored, which I feel terrible saying, but I was really, really little and it was very long and came back to it as an adult and obviously now have a much deeper appreciation for like the importance of it to Jewish people and to musical theater, but it was the Yiddish production. And so I wanted to sort of give space to people who have deeper relationships with this work, you know, throughout their whole lives. But that production to me, was such an important experience to have with my family. Um, I did see She Loves Me, um, but it was it, it was that production that everybody's been talking about that was so beautiful. And I remember seeing it at like a really terrible time in my life and just the, the, the joy and the humanity of these like sort of small little interpersonal things. I really, really loved, but um, yeah, came to his work much, much later. Deborah's um, comment about the Yiddish production reminded me, just to throw it out there, is I believe Dara Horn has an essay or a podcast that sort of refutes some of the Fiddler stuff and argues with it um, a little bit, which also might be worth checking out for people who are interested. So uh, just to clarify question, like was the, the most recent production of Fiddler, was that entirely done in Yiddish? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah it was done That's by really the great. Yiddish National Theater Company, Volksbühne, and it had been translated into Yiddish for production, I think, in, for production in Israel back in the 70s, I think. And then this was a sort of revised adaptation of it using the original translation. Did, did they, did they have a screen that had the English translation? They did, or yeah. was, yes, they okay, had. Superpowers. I didn't know for sure if they did something like that. Okay. Yeah, so it's been done a couple were... times in New York, but it's the same one that keeps popping up. But also, there were what was some... interesting about the translation is it was, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there were some uh, edits to the translation that were done um, because I don't think Harnick had been very involved in the Israeli production that had it in Yiddish. And when it came here, he kind of looked at it closer and had some things to say about it. Um, I, I may have talked about it here before, but very notably uh, the opening song tradition uh, they had translated into Yiddish as Detoira or the Bible, um, which is of course the center of what makes these traditions what they are. Um, I, I really like that translation. I think it really captures what that culture was, um, which again, being my culture matters to me. Um, it was very important to Harnick that, and I actually saw him do a, a talk back at um at Folksbühne at the uh 
the Museum of Jewish Heritage back when the Yiddish production first came out. Uh, he, he talked about, he really wanted to maintain the universality of the show. And he felt that th that translation was too specific. So um, he had them change it to traditia, which is just tradition. Uh, I, I don't know what other changes were made in the lyrics, um, but he did have some influence on that production. I think Jessica wanted to add something, uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna move on to another topic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, just just two things from Facebook, but they're uh, okay. I will move on to we'll we'll do the Facebook stuff. Uh, but Jessica, I know you wanted to add something, yeah. so why don't we do that first? Oh no, just super super quick. Just uh, with that uh, Yiddler production, which I also saw. Um, something that I thought was really interesting is the translation they did wasn't like the lyrics, like what you would find in the libretto. It was actually a translation of the translation, if that makes any sense. So like if I were a rich man became if I were a Rothschild, which makes sense um, and stand well, but like the translation would say if I were a Rothschild, it didn't say like if I were a rich man. So it was also very interesting because it kind of showed you something about the translation as well. Uh, and using if I were a Rothschild actually goes back to the original Sholem Aleichem text mm -hmm. where Tevye has a rat, where the monologue that became if I were a rich man talks about how he wishes he were a Rothschild. Bethany, you said there was uh, some Facebook comments. So my my big uh, uh, Sheldon Harnick gap is I haven't seen Fiorello or Apple Tree, um, but two two uh, contributions. Donald Seaborn Sanborn, sorry, uh, really loves. Um, sorry really loves a song from Fiorello, Politics and Poker. Um, and my father, Gordon Freed, uh, really loves Little Tin Box. So I, I have that on my homework list to listen to Fiorello. Um, um, I think we'll move on from Sheldon, I, Sheldon Harnick. I think I did not say what my favorite lyric was, which is from also from She Loves Me, but we did mention that was my favorite show. But actually, it's um, the song where Amalia, who's the main woman in the show, is uh, she is just started at this job and she's like, uh, it's there's like a music box that she's trying to sell. I forget the name of the song, actually. I'd have to look it up, but it's just like a little no song. No More Candy. No More Candy. There we go. Um, so No More Candy is my favorite song because it really is just like a song that shows how good Amalia is at her job. And I just really think that's great. And I, She Loves Me is like a romantic comedy, but it's also a show about women in the workplace at that specific time. And I think, um, and I just love thinking about the show in that way, about a show about women at work. Um, and uh, yeah, so No More Candy is Amalia being an awesome salesperson. Um, and great, yeah, I think uh, since it's almost to uh, our time, we'll uh, move on to another topic. Of course, I know we could talk about Sheldon Harnick for the entire time, but uh, I think, you know, um, wanna make sure if there's anything else that we wanna talk about today, we get that in. So. Um, yeah, uh, I think there are, I put some topics here 
but uh i think if anyone has like a scene to song episode uh from the past five seasons that i think has changed like this has kind of been my overall theme of this episode this live show celebration of just like is there an episode something a topic something someone said that's changed how you've thought about musical theater in general or a specific show um you know that came from one of the discussions uh and uh i know victoria gordon you have to leave at uh 2 15 so uh sorry wanna... it's 11 15 in la so well, yeah. i guess most of you have had lunch i gotta go meet someone for lunch <laughs> Yeah, so um, I don't know if you haven't answered this, but feel free to jump in since you have to leave. But if anybody wants to uh, kick that kick that discussion off with anything. I can go, Victoria, if you want to say something. I was listening just this morning to, I think it's in the current season, the one about Sondheim and how he conceives of moments. And I loved that episode, not because it was like a new concept to me, but because that's it was somebody capturing in like a new way of phrasing it. I think exactly the reason that I love his work so much and probably the reason that a lot of people love his work so much is thinking about like how we, how we think of, you know, good moments and bad moments. And that lyric that's really central to the episode and into the woods of life rolling moments that you never know you have one is one of my favorite lyrics of his. Um, and there was a section about like, how Sunday in the Park with George deals with this as sort of moving on for moments not being too upset and it was just it was a way that I had never thought to put it all together before and put together his entire body of work in this thematic way um and it's always something that I appreciate to hear people sort of put new like new lenses on things that we spend so much time thinking about and so much time loving so I really enjoyed that episode I actually wanted to talk about, and we've discussed it before, although you probably don't remember this, Beth Ann, um, your musical adaptations episode, um, your TV musicals. Um, we were on the 20, I think it was 2020, end of year. Everything sucked this year, but we still did some podcast episodes. Chat. <laughs> yeah. And I remember talking about it and I just thought it was fascinating because my first thought when I heard TV musicals was actual TV musicals, which is a whole other story. But I love that you took these pop culture moments. You talked about Buffy and you talked about Scrubs and Scrubs in particular stands out to me because Stephanie DeBrugio, for any of my fellow Avenue Q fans, is in that episode. But um, regardless, I just love the idea of how these shows that were just like musical episodes where they use songs from musicals. It wasn't Ally McBeal. It was really about creating a whole musical in a very short time span and bringing it into the genre of the show and the world of the show. And I think that was a really fascinating episode. I, and I wanna just respond, Evening Primrose is just one of my favorite things. And I, you know, talk about a TV musical and taking a very short, you know, it's a, it's a short 50 minute thing that, well, I think a couple of years ago when we did one of these group episodes, we spent a long time talking about horror and musicals. There was a episode that, about yeah. horror, horror and musicals, and and then which didn't touch on Evening Primrose, um, but Evening Primrose is truly a scary musical, which is just a, a rare thing, uh, I think. And and uh, maybe there is something about TV that makes that work a little bit better. 
Although I think at the time, Shoshana and I talked about how cool it would be to see an immersive evening primrose, like in a department store setup, <gasps> going through the experience. Because Let's I, do I, it. I know, right? There's something to be said for this kind of, and especially for what we think of as department stores these days, like for me, watching Evening Primrose is always a reminder that a department store was truly a general store with everything in it. Now, when I go to a department store, it's like, oh, look, they have some clothing on the racks. Cool. Moving on with my life. So I think there's something really inherently creepy about this like lost concept too of the sort of general store department store. And I would love to see someone try immersive theater with that. It'd be challenging, but I'd love to see someone try it. Otherwise, I agree. There is something creepy about extremely low budget TV and the vague concept of, I won't even give away the spoilers of the ending. This one might be a spoiler for some people, but suffice it to say the entire ending of that film's a little dark. And speaking of, um, to bring Sheldon Harnick back into it, Bethann, didn't we attend a program at the Paley Center or were you there with Sheldon Harnick? And he also had a TV musical about a ghost that we watched. Was it ghosts? I was thinking it was vampire. I don't really remember it. It was an adaptation of the Canterville, the Canterville ghost. Canterville ghost. It was yes. a ghost. Yes, it was. We watched that there. I don't, was I don't so remember. It was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, should, I should watch it again. It was amazing. Um, I, I think, sorry to bring it back to Sheldon Harnick again some more, <laughs> but one thing that kind of came back on my Facebook feed over and over, and if you never got to do this, I think it's something that stood out to everyone was watching Sheldon Harnick, you know, toward the end of his career, got invited to things where he would be presented with his music or other people's music. And he had this thing where he would sit on stage and listen to people perform. And he's on stage listening to people perform. And I don't know if it was his own performance to do this, but I think a lot of people had the experience of watching him listen to music and just his expression of joy I, and I think we that was the first time I ever saw him live sitting on stage. I I, I think he was there, yeah. And and uh, and yeah. Oh, and one more bit of text from him at that night. And I wish I had bought it. And now I have to look for it. He had with his wife created a book of. Uh, I I don't know if it was all haikus, but it was po his poetry and her photographs. And I have to go find this book. But there's one, and and if this screws up the haiku form, you'll know I'm remembering it wrong. But there was a haiku from that that goes through my head all the time, all the time. I think it's very relatable. Just because the subway arrives at the station at the same time you do doesn't mean God loves you more. <laughs> Which was just wonderful. <laughs> Something along those lines. I don't remember the exact quote. <laughs> Great. Any other any other episodes uh, we want to bring up? Anyone have? Can I jump in? Yeah. I just wanted to say that um, we had done our episode. I forgot at the beginning of the show to say what episode I was on. I, I was on the episode about the goodbye girl. <laughs> and um, um, and, 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 and gratefully, so we met each other through that musical, our love of the musical, and then you had me on your show. And then just recently mm -hmm. we got a chance to go see it uh, on the off-Broadway production because I had never seen it before. I'd only heard of it. And, and you had seen the original 1993 production. So it was just a really great experience because not only did we go together, we went with Lisa, who was one of the original kids in the production. 
And so it was the three of us and they changed some things because, you know, they, that was one thing we had talked about on your last live show was if they could bring the, the show back, um, it has some issues. How could they do it and, and change things? And they were able to do it. So that was really cool. And, and I just wanted to bring up that fact because um, I think David Zippel, the lyricist, he had to get approval from uh, Marvin Hamlish's team to, to be able to change some things and add some lyrics and, and they, they gave their blessing. So I just hope now maybe it might have more of a, more of a way to be a regional show. You know, people can do it more often because I love the word play in, in that particularly. So, yeah, that was a really interesting experience to see. We can move into, we can talk about that for a second uh, too. Cause I, I think Robert, you also saw the, you also saw the original production. I did not see the original. No, book. you didn't. Okay, I, never no, mind. I, I know, I know it from reading it and from listening to it. But yeah. Okay. I never actually saw it. And I know Seth, you were at the when we saw it, you were there as well. Yeah, I was there the same night you got. You all were, and I had also you. seen it in concert. Yeah. Uh, at Fifty Four Below a number of years ago, directed by uh, Zippel with Santino Fontana, who was supposed to be in his right, production right. of Sick, and uh, Kate Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was very, it was very cool to see it again. Um, it with like, and I had seen the concert with Santino and Kate Baldwin, but to actually see like a production with the, with the book, you know, with everything um, and just seeing different years actors. Later. Yeah. And just seeing different <laughs> actors do it and bring different things to it really, yeah, really changed it for me in, in ways. Cause I, you know, it's like Bernadette Peters and Martin Short from the original production or in my mind, because there really hasn't been any other productions. Um, so to see what Sierra Bo just brought to it is completely different character from how Bernadette Peters interpreted it. It had toured briefly, and, mm -hmm. if I and there was a production in Chicago, which was the first one right after the Broadway production, which was fairly successful there. There was also then a production in London a couple of years later that threw out three quarters of the score. <laughs> yeah, I heard about with, that. That seems... Yeah, replaced it with really awful yeah. new songs. Still Hamlish's music, but lyrics by Don Black, who is no David Zippel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there is a cast <laughs> album of that, and I don't recommend it. <laughs> Although I have to be totally I've honest, been... even... Oh, sorry. No, but even as a fan of the musical, there are several songs that I could easily see being cut and me not being like, oh God, they lost. Like, for example, I'm a big fan of Rags as well. And there are several songs from Rags that I, when they were cut or characters, even whole plot lines, I thought that's kind of a bummer. But they're like, for example, I'm blanking on the name of this song. I think it's Too Good To Be Bad. Is that what it's called? Too Bad To Be Good. One, you know what I'm talking yes. about? Too Good To Be Bad. It's a very one. long song. And oh. I get the concept, but it could easily be condensed into like 30 seconds. Okay, we get that this is her routine. Move on with our lives. It's just, it ends up being a very long. But then, then that is, with but, this version. But, but then it, it has to exist so that Carol Woods can have a big song immediately following it, which is just reprises I know. It. Fair. <laughs> Fair. No, look, it's hard. It's always hard when musicals are redone. And for me, like when you brought up this topic, Rags came to mind because I loved that original cast album, which technically isn't the original cast. Um, Julia McGinnis was not in the original cast, but she was wonderful in it. And when the show came back up as like a potential production, Stephen Schwartz and Charles Strauss just gutted the score and in the process changed around storylines, eliminated some characters, removed a couple of songs I actually kind of liked. And I just, 
that's one. I'll tell you another one that's like that is Carrie the Musical. If anyone's a fan of the 80s, Carrie the Musical. There are several songs like I'm Not Alone that I think are actually really good songs that got thrown on the chopping block in deference to songs that I don't necessarily love as much. But hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to make a musical work. And clearly Carrie worked the second time around. Yeah, and there's yeah. a I highly recommend uh, the Out for Blood podcast. Uh, if you haven't heard it, it goes through that the whole story of Carrie um really in depth uh so uh yeah definitely listen to that I'm not a huge carry person but I loved that podcast so uh yeah um but I think um this also with the this production of the goodbye girl brings up another topic I had thought about which was uh just off-Broadway musicals in general and because I feel like in the past couple months I've just everything I've seen has been not on Broadway, basically. <laughs> so like non-Broadway, <laughs> non-Broadway. Um, and including this Goodbye Girl production, I saw a few other uh, concerts, uh, musical theater concerts and things in, uh, and productions in New York um, that I just thought were fantastic. And um, yeah, so I think just the idea of off-Broadway um, as, uh, you know, for musicals. And, you know, of course we run into the the issue of Broadway and Broadway musical being synonymous with music, musical theater, which is obviously not the case and doesn't always have to be the case. Not all musicals are Broadway musicals, but yeah, if anyone wants to respond to that or something you've seen, a musical you've seen recently or in the past that has not been on Broadway. Yeah, Tammy. I'm gonna raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I just wanted to say I, I. I was recently in New York and I'd never been to an off Broadway show before. So the Goodbye Girl when we went to see that, but then I went to go see Titanic, and that was its own little off Broadway thing. And I, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like the, how it's more. It's more. It's more. How do you say it? Like it, not as many audience members. It's more you know, quiet, not quiet, but um, intimate. intimate. That's the word, right? So I love that. I think, and, and, and I remember I was walking out of Titanic and somebody's like, oh, well, they should just bring this to Broadway. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, this is exactly what it needs to be. It needs to be in, you know, a smaller space. And, and I think it loses its magic. So I think that's another reason I really liked seeing the goodbye girl for what it was, because in that small space, it makes so much more sense because it's not a big flashy musical as what they were trying to do back in 1993. And I think that can also serve a purpose in, in you know, telling the story. I think another reason like Little Shop didn't do, you know, quite as well in 2003 when they made it this big entire, you know, production. It's now, isn't it back off of Broadway, right? So, and it's doing really well, it's still running. So, I, I I like that. I like how there's two different things, and I I really can't wait to experience some more off Broadway productions, whether it be musical or play. I think that that's a great opportunity to try out new material too. And on the other hand, seven of the last ten Tony winners for best musical started off Broadway. Well, I think what's so interesting to me about this topic is that right now, when I think of practically all the things that I've seen off Broadway, whether they've been like at nonprofit theaters or whether like encores is practically every single one there's some something somewhere in the air about like well the goal of this production is to move it to broadway 
in a way that I find, you know, kind of interesting because I think on one hand, so much of that has to do with the economics of everything, particularly right now when a lot of theaters are really struggling. Um, and also though, I feel like it kind of gets into this idea and this is like a horrible corporate zeitgeisty term, but like of scalability. And I think right now there's a real issue of people like not really looking at like what is scalable and what isn't. And I think that sort of goes across the entertainment industry in many ways. Um, but I think also going off of something Tammy was saying is this idea of sometimes seeing something in a smaller space, like that is part of the appeal. And whether that's because you're getting to see a performer much closer and to hear them, I mean, everybody is mic'd, but mic'd in a slightly different way. Um, and I think sometimes that increases your enjoyment of something where if it's in a big house and also just that like not all material is meant for, you know, various size houses or also I think um, the idea of just like what Broadway is, which I feel like came up a lot in some of the issues around here like love with the musicians of like, well, you want to do this on Broadway. So what does Broadway mean? Which I think is also a discussion worth having. Is it like merely like real estate or is Broadway like an idea and a concept and something that is like part of the gestalt? Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I was thinking about it just yesterday. So I, I grew up in New York, grew up seeing like Broadway as musicals, as Shoshana was saying. And mm -hmm. I now live and work in one of America's you know biggest regional theater markets. And so for us here in Chicago, the theaters are largely very, very tiny. And so like most of what we see here is off-Broadway sized. And I think in a way that's sort of spoiled me when I go back to New York and the theaters are, you know, giant and or most, you know, most of what I go to see is 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 giant. And it's given me a much bigger appreciation for that intimacy and that closeness because that's like what Chicago does really, really well. But I got a text last night from a friend who, so the Goodman just started doing a production of Tommy that I think is revised in some way, but it's the original director. I was supposed to see it this week, but I've been sick. So I, I'm hoping to squeeze it in. But it was like, oh, it's so good. I hope they transfer it. And it got me thinking about these same things that Victoria was saying, which is like, is this the goal? Was it sort of always the goal? I know that show hasn't been done in New York in a very, very long time. So maybe it is. But like, I think a lot about, is it always the right fit? Is it, you know, particularly with, with encores? Because like I was sitting and watching Parade a couple of weeks ago and I was like, all right, this is here. But like the, the model is so... I mean, someone said in the chat that it's broken and it is, and that's another conversation, but like, does everything fit, fit on Broadway? And obviously it doesn't. And I've been thinking about that from a regional perspective mm -hmm. too, because we don't transfer nearly as many things. And I think we transfer more plays, but yeah. that it was just, that was the immediate, like, I hope it moves. Yeah. Where's it going I, other than Broadway, I, right? I, Victoria, I, sorry, sorry. I just know Victoria has to go. So I'm uh, on my way out. I just wanted yeah. to stay on my way out on this topic. I don't know how much people here follow LA or regional theater news, but here in Los Angeles, one of our largest venues just announced that it will not be having a 2023, 2024 season. That's the Mark Taper Forum. That is something that mm -hmm. is hugely upsetting to independent theater and smaller theater because they tend to do the shows we might call weirder or a little bit more offbeat. The big musicals go to the Amundsen. So it's not really, it's a loss for the theater community in general. And I feel like what's challenging is this concept, like we're saying, is sort of like off-Broadway or regional being a springboard to Broadway loses out on some of the magic that you see in local theater. And I think 
one of the joys for me of going other places is seeing local film and like regional things that people are putting together because I live in the city where regional film is mainstream film. So I imagine that for a lot of New Yorkers, it feels the same way with Off-Broadway turning into a Broadway launching pad as opposed to a place to try new things and get experimental. So I very much feel the way this is going. And yes, I agree. The Taper is the size of a small Broadway house. Our two main theaters for musicals, for those not aware, are the Pantages and the Amundsen. And those are both substantially larger than your traditional Broadway theater. So I remember my first time in a Broadway theater, I was shocked at how small it was because I was used to seeing musicals with the Pantages and the Amundsen, which are huge houses. But regardless, I hate to leave on a sad note, <laughs> but I have so enjoyed being here and it was great to meet all of you. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> Thanks so much, Victoria. And uh, why don't we go Orion and then Bethann. Yeah, I just, um, coming from a, a bit of a different regional um, center, which is Toronto, which is more of the international side. Um, you know, this idea between region and off-Broadway, I think we see them as competing of like, you know, the springboard, but, you know, for the Canadian musical theater market, we sort of are trying both and we're sort of like attempting both that we still have, you know, theater that's being produced that's for Canadian markets, but we also understand that it's so important to have those springboards onto Broadway because that brings us more attention and funding back to Canada for Canadian musicals. So I, I think that we like to see it as like off-Broadway versus Broadway or the economics, but I think for other regions like Toronto, we sort of see them as both and, and not necessarily in competition with one another. Yeah, Bethann, go ahead. Uh, you know, I've, I'm thinking about some of the Broadway shows I've seen recently and how they just would work better off Broadway. I went to Chicago once when I was, I think a senior in high school and we saw just the tiniest little room, a black box theater, a production of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. And I was like, oh, this is, and I think that's the only time I've seen that show live, but it was clearly the correct way to see the show. You know, it's, you know, five kids singing, you know, or whatever number of kids. And, and there is just, I don't know, maybe I'm just repeating everybody, but the, that Chicago magic of, of the small theater and the, and the intimacy of, of having things in the correct space really I don't know if it's economically viable or or if it allows enough people to see something really great like you're a good man charlie brown which a lot of people should see but um i i, I guess i agree with everyone <laughs> my one and i think oh sorry go ahead oh no i'm sorry um i think something that is a challenge or at least the way i grew up i grew up in california i moved to new york as an adult is growing up my sense of broadway it's like that's where the best theater is so if you're not on Broadway, you're not the best theater. Um, and that was something I had to learn. And I think that many people in the public <laughs> still also have to learn. So I think there's so many shows that are so much better in a smaller house, like everybody else is saying. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, and I understand it, like people work hard for their money. They don't want to spend money on not a sure thing. But I think there's this, it kind of off-Broadway exists in the public imagination as a Broadway springboard and either it makes it or it doesn't. Um, and I, I wish that's not what people thought. Um, and uh, because there are shows that it's like, they're, you know, raison d'etre is to exist in a smaller house and they're amazing there. And I think people are missing out on a lot of truly amazing things. 
um, that are going on on off Broadway stages. Yeah, I was going to just add that the only show I can think of that uh, people thought might have been better on Broadway was Fun Home, just only because of this, that there is that circle in the square theater that uh, sure. people people really liked that uh, that staging of it. But it's only, I feel like it's only because that theater happened to ex happens to exist as a Broadway theater. But um, I would, Bethann, do we have any other Facebook uh, comments? I mean, <laughs> not really. Um, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to, I, I think this worked well last, uh, last time when we did a group, uh, why is this so good uh, uh, section. So I wanted to, in our last uh, 10 minutes, uh, do that. Uh, I had, uh, for since it's Pride, <laughs> Pride Month, and speaking of Fun Home uh, and Pride in New York City today, I wanted to... Uh, yeah, to give a shout. It's also yeah. Pride in Toronto here today as well. Oh, nice. So I wanted to do something from Fun Home. Um, the, that uh, There's a lot of shows that uh, would, uh, you know, be a good Pride show, but this one particularly for me is... Uh, resonates so I wanted to I thought it would be cool to do the song telephone wire um I am going to I think try to play it first let's see if this works um, but that means we're all gonna start crying <laughs> <laughs> I mean I you probably all know it and listen to it but uh just for any folks watching but let me okay so let me know if this is coming through that coming through telephone wire run and run telephone wire sun down on the creek partly frozen partly flowing must be windy trees are bending junction 50 field needs mowing feels like the car is blowing say something talk to Hey. Yeah. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. I know a bar. It's kind of hidden away. A CD club for folks like, you know, could be fun. But dad, I'm not 21. Yeah, right. Telephone wire, long black line. Telephone wire, finely threaded sky. There's the pond where I went waiting. There's a sign for Sugar Valley. On the mountain, light is fading. I go back to school tomorrow. Say something, talk to him. a boy in college 
my first year there. Norris Jones. He had black wavy hair. Norris Jones. Where is he now? Fourteen years old. In Swenson's barn. It was cold. Lots of boys messed around, you know. For them, it was a game they outgrew. But I always knew. Dad, me too. Since like five, I guess. I prefer to wear boy shirts and pants. I felt absurd in a dress. I really tried to deny my feelings for girls. But I was like you. Dad, me too. Norris Jones. Dad. Norris Jones. Dad. Hey, did I mention that new project I've taken on? Oh, you've seen it, out that old house out on Route 150? Oh, it's been standing out there empty 40, 50 years at least. Telephone wire, stop too fast. Telephone wire, make this not the past. This car ride, this is where it has to happen. There must be some other chances. earlier than I thought. Are you coming in? Telephone wire. That was our last night. Okay, I will stop sharing my sound. Um, yeah, and I guess I should just say a little context for the song for those who don't know the show. Um, this is towards the end and uh, Allison, the character of Allison, the older one who's looking back as, you know, at her life is remembering this moment, which was like her last night with her dad, where they have this car ride. And uh, it basically, uh, what you hear in the song is basically, I guess, how it goes, but it's from the perspective of her trying to remember it re while he's in it. And it's really her as like a college student, but she's remembering it as like a 40 something person so I think that is good context yeah um to send it I mean I think this song is so good I don't know but other people might <laughs> might have other thoughts but does anyone want to start off uh I, I've much? seen fun home eight times now I saw it uh the lab production of the public the full production of the public then four times on Broadway and then I've also I saw a concert version a couple of years ago and then most recently 
I saw a production in Hartford and it does not get old. And I feel like every time I see the show, I discover new things in the text, in the music, in the orchestrations. Um, and that song in particular is so shame because of the way that middle Allison and regular Allison switch places is at the in, at the imagined invitation of her father. I think that's so, related to what I was going to say is what the song does with time is really interesting to me, particularly like the car ride itself of that feeling of running out of time to do a thing. And then older Allison is looking back and watching herself go through that process of running out of time. So also thinking about it a lot. There's a, a professor, I believe at Harvard, who studies or who has written a couple of papers on the way that Fun Home, the musical, captures the way that Alison Bechtel creates her writing and her drawings. I don't know if people know this, but her method is to like create photographs of herself, of her memories to draw from. It's really, really interesting and quite involved. Um, and knowing that and hearing the music again, thinking about like this particular scene where there's the two Allisons kind of switching places and how how the older Allison is dealing with memory is also really interesting to me in that context. I'll see if I can find the link while we're chatting, but her work is very cool um, and kind of puts the two together in a way that I really love. So the, I don't remember who it was, but there was an episode about, uh, which was referenced earlier in this episode, um, about Sondheim talking about moments. And I, I just had this revelation in my re-listen to the song after all the crying um, <laughs> of there's a kind of a similarity between this and someone in a tree in terms of a memory, you know, the, when there's an important event, it's those minutia around the event that really come back. And um, I think what this song brings to it that um, some of these, uh, well, that someone in a tree doesn't necessarily is the emotionality, the desperation. And I think we've all had that thing of, of remembering something or just going over um, a memory and, and just trying to make it different in our memory and, and just never being able to, but that you perseverate on these, these telephone wires and, and whatnot. Yeah, Orion. I also think it's just interesting the 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 use of the word of telephone wire being the object because telephone wires are, you know, used to connect. They're used to bridge between things. You know, it's so the fact that she's using she's using a symbol that is a form of connection. Um, in trying to have this, you know, final connection with her father, you know, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting thing that she didn't use, you know, the pavement lines or, you know, that there was specifically chosen the word telephone wire, which I really loved. Deborah's comment made me think of this, if I'm remembering correctly, which I'm pretty sure I am, that actually Janine and Lisa, when they were writing it, they really did go look not only at um, the substance of the graphic novel, but also the style and like using the visuals 
to inform like what it would be musically and what it would be structurally. And I'm pretty sure I remember, I think it was Janine saying that one of the things that was interesting to her with the graphic novel form is like, you have a bunch of like boxes. And that's so much, I think in the original graphic novel, which um, I haven't read. So this is all sort of going on what things Janine and Lisa have said is that each family member is being like very separate in their own world and that being a big image that was inspiring to them. And I think it's interesting in relation to the idea of sort of like memory and also how you're trapped inside your own perception of events and that like kind of um, graphic novel or comic book ideas like you have the little squares. Yeah, the whole separation is, I mean, this the structure of this song is very, it's so separate. It's so like he, the dad is like in a different world. <laughs> he's like, you know, folk, he's also focused on the past. You know, he's also focused on this, uh, this stuff from his childhood, this guy, Norris Jones and whatever. Um, and here she is like trying to have like this connection and saying these things, being extremely honest and heartfelt and he doesn't hear a thing. I think, that line he says at the end at, right after the song is over well that was fun like that whole that that delivery of that line michael servers does that whole dis, kind of dismissiveness of the whole song the whole thing that just happened is just so devastating um and uh yeah robert See, I, I find that really i find that really interesting i'm, I'm trying to remember because I, I i i only saw fun home once and so i'm trying to i've been quiet because i've been trying to remember what exactly this moment is um and i and i realize that as i'm listening to it because i'm i'm an older person now and i've experienced more of the world you know just a little bit more of the world since i saw it the first time i think that i'm experiencing the song in a totally different way than i experienced it when i saw it in the theater and and what what you just said Shoshana I think is fascinating because is it that he's not paying attention to her and ignoring her or is it that she's opening a door that is so uncomfortable for him to go through that he that he wants to have a conversation mm. but he doesn't know how to deal with this he doesn't know how to deal with the fact that she is ready to have this conversation on a level that do you know what I mean like yeah and, and this is the thing I can't remember when I saw the show where I was, I, I I suspect that I was feeling the way that 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 um, that you just described. That I probably took the scene as she's trying to make this connection, and then he's just trying to avoid it completely. And maybe it's because I'm closer to the father in age now <laughs> that that I'm I, as I'm listening to it now, I'm experiencing the scene also from his perspective in that car that night, because he tries, like he tries to in his own clumsy way. I think he tries to connect with her, right? But he doesn't have the vocabulary to do it at all. And, and, so, and so I think on the one hand, I think now that I'm looking at it, I mean, I'm appreciating the fact that it's so complicated what he's going through, because I do think, I think he's dealing with two different things. I think on the one hand, that character is dealing with um, not having the vocabulary that she has, but also I think he's dealing with age. I think he's dealing with the fact that he is not a young person. And whereas with her, she's had this discovery and is able to talk about it, at least you know the young version of her and has her entire life ahead of her. He's somebody who is having this discovery and it's 
well, I mean, he's had the discovery, but what I mean is he's presumably having this conversation with somebody for the very first time, right? And in a way coming out for the very first time and all he can see perhaps is the life that's behind him. And you get to a point in your life where there, uh, I'm being a little pessimistic now, but but you feel like there's nothing ahead of you. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, and so anyway, I, I think all I'm reacting to is, is, is now that, I, I, I hear you say what you just said, and I feel like, yeah, when it was first opened, that's probably where my brain was as well. But now that I'm older, I can see another way of looking at it, you know, so that when she yeah. says, what, what is her line um, that she says, um, that she sings? There's a moment I'm forgetting where, where, you, tell, where you tell me you see me. Mm -hmm. I'm appreciating that that can be taken two ways. That can be taken from the perspective of the young person in the car, just wanting him to see her and never having gotten that. But there's a way that you can look at it where it's the older her saying, if only there, if only in that moment you were able to see me, then maybe you would have been able to see yourself and maybe this wouldn't have happened. I mean, I think that the intention is for that to be read in two different ways. Yeah, I think, I think you have to read the lyric, her side of the lyric as happening both the young one and the old one yeah. like in and out I mean she does say like make this not the past yeah, like, that's, yeah I feel like that's that's from the older perspective but but yeah it is like which line is from which yeah person yeah, yeah. wonderfully complicated yeah I yeah I, I think, think we had a discussion at some point about you know, staging. And I think this is one of the great staging moments in musical theater when Allison switch place and, and that they are the same age and, and that that increases her empathy for her father in a lot of ways, because she understands the age that he's coming from because she is that age now, or essentially. Um, and I was going to bring up the line, make this not the past as being Again, I think one of the all-time great lines in, in musical theater for me. Yeah. One one thing that kind of strikes me about the song, it's maybe a smaller thing. Um, I really hate bars. <laughs> <laughs> and and whether I hate bars or not, they are limited in who can go there, right? You have to be an adult to go there. And they kind of point that out in the song. Um when um the gay bar shooting happened a few years ago and it was you know the day before the Tonys or something and so there was a lot of there was a lot of discussion about the importance of gay bars and gay life and and as a person who really hates bars I think about how limiting that is you know that if you're your only place to be out in yourself is in a bar that that in itself is a is a big problem, you know, and and that's the world he's coming from, and she's maybe ushering in a world where there can be other places like you know synagogues for gay people, or or just regular life for gay people, or or any type of place, so it doesn't have to be we need to go to this place to be ourselves, um, and how what a structural problem that is. Hmm. Jessica, I think you were gonna say something. Um. Yeah, no, I think everyone had really great commentary so far and I agree with everything everyone's saying and something like another layer of complexity that I love about this song is that she's not just singing to her father, she's also singing to her past self while being her past self. Um, mm -hmm. Like I believe it's like, 
I think it's the first verse where she's like, you know, say something, talk to him. Like she's not saying that to her father. She's saying that to her past self. Um, and so I think that's also part of what makes the scene so sad is she's looking back on it and it's not just her father's reaction, but it's her wishing that it, you know, that she had done something differently. Um, and I think, you know, just the fact that so much of the lyric is focused on what's happening externally, like the telephone wire, like, you know, the lawn needs mowing and all of those things. I think it also shows that it's hard for her to talk about this too, because, you know, it's much easier to focus on what's passing by you externally um, than to really stay in the moment. So I think it's, it's a really interesting song that way where she's already beyond the moment, but even in the moment, she had to remind herself to be in the moment. And I think there's something really beautiful about that and something that also echoes kind of what we've seen her father do throughout the show. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Um, I, we are going to wrap up. We're a little over, uh, I like these to be around 90 minutes or so a little over, but um, if anyone has like, one more comment, one more thing to say, definitely feel free. Bethann, if there's any uh, Facebook comments about this. Okay, it's totally changing, but I did, did want to honor that he wrote in. Paul Nelson wrote in, I heard that In the Heights is based on the same plot as Fiddler. Is that true? <laughs> I just thought was such a, and I was like, I don't think we have time to read that comment, but you know, let's put it out there in the world. Paul Nelson, thank you for listening. Also a pop former podcast guest. Um, we will, uh, maybe we could address that later on the Facebook thread. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if anyone, if everyone, you know, feel free to head there and, and respond. Um, yeah, anyone else have any other comments before we, before we wrap up? Congratulations. Five years. That's, that's pretty great. Congratulations. <laughs> thank and you. Thank Tara. you for having yeah. all of us. No, thank you all so much <laughs> for yes, doing this. I really wanted to mark the day uh, in some way. So thank you so much. Uh, I love doing these live shows. So I was thinking like we could do, uh, you know, one for this. So an extra one. We'll definitely do another one at the end of the season for the season six guests that are happening right now um but uh but you know this was this was a real treat thank you so much for for being a part of this um yeah thank you for having us and really thank you i mean it's this i think it's it's easy to to forget how unusual it is to have a podcast that's like this I think you know <laughs> in the world of like musical theater because so much of musical theater what I anyway what I come across um online or in the world so much of musical theater discussion becomes about oh I liked this oh I didn't like that oh I liked that oh I didn't like that oh that was fun oh I love this performer blah 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 and I think the fact that for the last five years that you've been Number one, the fact that you've stuck with that any of us have stuck with anything for five years is kind of incredible. But also that you've opened up this space for people to have a real conversation about the form. And you know, as a writer, speaking for the writers in the room, you know, the fact that there is a podcast that is not entirely centered on the writers, but is considerably centered, I think, on the creators of of a piece, including the writers, um, I think is really incredible. So just thank you for doing it. Thank you, Robert. And I will, I do want to add that 
uh anyone i i always say like anyone can be a guest on this podcast if you want to talk about musical theater in this way so please reach out if you uh are thinking have a topic in mind or want to be on the guest i also like you know happy to brainstorm topics with folks who want to be on the podcast um so email scene to song at gmail.com uh uh, some people that, uh, that I didn't know have emailed and um, about topics and they've all been great. So um, yeah. Uh, and if any former podcast guests either on here today or listening in or watching want to return, I always have podcast guests return as well. Um, yeah. And it, it's uh, totally open. Just want to have these kind of conversations about musical theater. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Scene to Song is now going back on summer hiatus and will return in early fall. If you aren't yet a Patreon subscriber, you can join for as little as $3 a month and hear some great conversations with the guests that didn't make it onto the episodes. If you have a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest, you can write to scenetosong at gmail.com. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on your podcast app and leaving a review. Follow on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at Scene2Song, and on Facebook at Scene2Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scenetosong.substack.com. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And be sure to check back in the fall for the next episode. <laughs>